It is incredible outside, is it not? It feels amazing. All that rain was depressing. But God, again, shows His grace and His love for us that He gives us an incredible day on this Sunday, weather-wise. Um, if you have your Bible, uh, I want to encourage you to open it to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Unless you live under a rock, you're pretty aware of the fact that our country seems greatly divided. Horrible things are happening. As we kind of transition out of this post-COVID-19 world, of course we're still in it. Social distancing, churches across the country still aren't open, things of that nature. Restaurants are 50% open, if that. Movie theaters still aren't open, which is hard for me, because I love to go to the movies. I don't even understand that. And then, racial issues. 2020, racial issues. Police brutality and riots. All of last night, riots all over the country. Right down the street, right down 75, in Dallas, Texas, riots. This is a a very interesting time in our nation, of course. And it's difficult. It should be difficult for us to, to watch and see how our country once again finds itself divided between race. And so, look, I know some of you have been walking with Jesus for years and years. And I thought today, I believe God led me to Romans 8 so that we might be reminded as the body of Christ of God's love for us amidst horrible things happening in our nation. Really across the globe. COVID-19 has affected the entire globe, and it still does. So uncertainty lingers across the entire earth still. We still live in uncertain times. Jesus could come back at any moment. Many people who have deeply and greatly studied the book of Revelation believe it's just at any moment. Of course, it's been any moment for 2,000 years. We don't know the day or the hour that Jesus will return. And so, I just want to encourage us as the body of Christ to remind us of the depth of God's love for us. God has not stopped loving us. His love for us never changes. And so in Romans 8, <laughs> the, this Romans 8 is considered to be like the Mount Everest of all of Paul's writings. If you want to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, go to Romans 8. You'll find it there. And so today for us as the body, I have four reasons that prove and, and just Mind you, there are more than four in Romans 8, but we're going to travel through the whole chapter together. There are more than four, but four proofs for us as the body of Christ that God loves us so very much. That He loves us so very much. And so we're just going to start in Romans 8, verse 1. This is what God's Word says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Something I learned at the very beginning of Bible college is anytime that you see the word therefore, you ask this question, what is it therefore? <laughs> so, in learning that, and you ask that question, what's, what's it therefore? Why is Romans 8 verse 1 there? You immediately look back to the verses or maybe the passage 
or even the chapter leading right up to Romans 8, verse 1. But for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of give us a summation of all of Romans 1 through 7. What I believe you see and you will find in, in chapters 1 through 7 of the book of Romans. Here it goes. All of God's creation. That is all mankind. Every person under the sun stands condemned before a holy God. We are all born into a fallen and broken world as enemies of God. It is the most fundamental problem in the universe. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the problem is clear. It's sin. And the punishment of sin is death. And the consequence of spiritual death, it's not done by electric chair. It's not a stoning to death. It isn't execution by a hanging. No, in God's economy, spiritual death and condemnation is God's eternal wrath. Wrath, really. We're, we're supposed to be talking about the Gospel, Nate, and you're talking about the wrath of God? Well what, well, what if I was raised in the church? What if I was in Sunday school classes most of my life? Doesn't that kind of give me a hall pass then? Let me just clear the air. Being raised in the church does not seal the deal for you. Jesus Christ does. Jesus is the only way to the Father. And Jesus is the only name under heaven for which man can be saved. So being raised in the church does not give you a leg up on anyone else in regards to your salvation. This isn't a line that you wait in and receive a certain certificate or pass. It means nothing in regards to escaping the wrath of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, there is no distinction whether you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you're an American or an Iranian, whether you grew up in the church or you didn't, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no distinction. So the wrath of God, you ask. What, what does it mean to, to stand condemned by God and held under His wrath? Well, I believe the Apostle John does the, the very best that he can and Revelation 4 to describe the depth and the, and the length of a place called hell. This is what the Bible teaches. The Apostle John says, Sinners will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of His anger. And He will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Jesus Himself Jesus, the Savior of humanity, says that this place is a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of endless agony and torment. It's a place who, who those who don't know Christ will end up. And these aren't my words. These are God's words. But, here's the best part. This is the best news in all of the universe. You won't find news like this in a newspaper. You won't find news like this in the New York Times. God sent His Son, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Savior, the One who died in your place and mine, whose blood is sufficient for our salvation. Jesus paid the penalty of sin and death for all mankind. does not matter what you've done in your past. You may be sitting in, a, in your seat right now thinking, man, if there were people in this room who knew some of the things I've done, or some of the things I've said, or even some of the things I've thought, it would ruin me. That might be true. But it's irrelevant. Your debts, your past, your sin, paid in full. All your sins that were once counted against you, canceled. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's number one. How we know, based on God and His Word, that He loves us. Number two, based on Romans 8, you belong to Jesus. How do we know God loves us? Because we belong to His Son. We'll pick up in verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of the sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Verse 11, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Paul uses the word Spirit in Romans 8 19 different times. It's as if Paul's trying to communicate something, which he is. Paul is saying that it is the Spirit of the living God that saved you and caused you to come alive in Christ. So Paul, this isn't the only place where Paul talks about our spiritual death. In the letter he writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, before you uh, were dead, before you met or encountered Christ in your life, you were dead in your sins, Paul says. Living according to your flesh, gratifying the cravings of your flesh and the desires of your flesh. Paul says, you and I were living in rebellion against God, dead in your sins. Paul says, like the rest of mankind. But then Paul says, well, and he also says in, in Ephesians 2 verse 3, by our very nature. This is our human nature. It's not our fault. It's the nature of humanity. We were deserving of wrath. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 3. But then, maybe one of the best verses in all of Scripture, verse 4. Ephesians 2 verse 4, Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His unfailing love for us, even though we were dead, He made us alive with Christ. So what caused this drastic change in our lives? We were once dead, now we're alive. We were once held under the wrath of God, now we're justified in Christ. Paul says it in Romans 8.11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Paul says it is an act of the Spirit of Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. And Paul says if the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you, then that same Spirit has given you new life in your mortal body. And that's not even the best part. Paul says, if God's Spirit lives in you, then you belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus, the Savior of humanity, the One who spoke all things into existence. You belong to Him. We live in a culture and in a world which I believe has been the same throughout all generations where we take pride in the things that we belong to or the people that we belong to, whether that's a country or a nation that you're proud of that you belong to whether it's a college or a university, whether it's a country club, a bank, a fraternity, a sorority, what maybe you, you, you were proud of, maybe you work there now or you used to, of being, uh, being able to say that you belong to a Fortune 500 company. Who isn't proud to say 
that. That's a prestigious thing to, to belong to. Maybe you're proud to, to belong to a good family. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. We always often uh, identify ourselves as belonging to certain organizations, even sports teams, which is really, really hard for us right now if you're a Cowboys fan to say that you belong to the Dallas Cowboys. But we belong to things. We can't deny that. We belong to things. We belong to people. We belong to a nation. We all belong to something. Yet the Bible says, Paul says it here, if the Spirit of God lives in you, then we belong to Jesus. And there is no organization. There is no sports team. If you're a New England, New England Patriots fan, there's no sports team. No family, even. That is better than belonging to the living God and the person of Jesus Christ. And we're talking about the same God who spoke the cosmos in motion. We're talking about the same God who spoke all things into existence. Literally everything that exists in our world and in the universe is because Jesus Christ spoke it into existence. Should Jesus stop, you and I would stop. We would cease to exist. There is no force throughout all of creation more powerful than the Word of God. In fact, it's the very Word of God that pierces through soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. And my prayer for you, my prayer for myself this week has been that anyone in this room who, who doesn't truly belong to Jesus, that the Word of God would pierce through your soul and correct any wrong thinking you may have about God, His Word, His Son that's been given to you. Paul says here in Romans 8, God did not spare His Son, but He gave Him for you and for me. My prayer has been that if anyone is stuck in a certain sin this morning, that the Word of God would convict you. That the Word of God would lead you to repentance. And my, my prayer has been that the Word of God would lead you back on the path to righteousness. And that He, He being the Spirit of God, would affirm you in your life this morning. You and I do not need, especially of everything that's happening and occurring in our world, and specifically in our nation, and even in our community, we do not need to live with the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Our minds need to be clear. And God says, my spirit can do that for you and for me. The more clouded our minds become, the more deceived we will become. And God intends for us through His Spirit to be renewed in our minds. That's what His Word teaches us. As we transform through the Spirit that lives in us into the men and women that God initially created us to be. How else do we know that God loves us based on Romans 8? Number three, God is your Father. God is your Father. We'll pick up in verse 14. Paul says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I saw this stat this past week, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, and I don't know if you can see that picture that will come up next. I know you can't read that probably. 19.7 million children, that's more than one in four, live without a father in America. 
Now this, of course, is a major crisis in our country. The chart, if you can't read it, I'm going to read it for you. This is what it says about children who are uh, raised without a father in the home. This is the most likely outcomes. Four times greater risk of poverty. Seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. More likely to have a behavioral problem. More likely to face abuse and neglect. Two times greater risk of infant mortality. More likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. More likely to go to prison. Two times more likely to suffer obesity. More likely to commit a crime. And two times more likely to drop out of high school. Based on this statistic, this is the likely outcome of children who are raised in homes without their fathers. And if we as the church of Jesus Christ believe that all humans are created in the image of God and in His likeness, just like you, just like me, then we also have to assume that these stats break the heart of our God. So here's the good news for anyone in this room, or maybe perhaps anyone that you know who you can go to later and tell of the good news that you heard out of Romans 8, whoever grew up in a home without a dad. The God of the universe established the very first adoption agency. Before the beginning of time, God had a plan set in motion to adopt sons and daughters and bring them into His royal kingdom. A son and a daughter of the King of the universe. Is there a better genealogy to belong to than that? I don't think there is. God created all things. God created the universe. God created the galaxies. Like All of these things that are so difficult to understand, God created them. And Scripture tells us that God knows all of the stars throughout the universe by name. I don't know what those stars' names are, but God does. But then He looks at you. Literally, the, you as an individual. God looks at you and me and says we are more precious of a possession than anything and everything that He created. We are beautifully and wonderfully made by God. Nothing in all creation matters more to God than to than you and me. And the Word of God says to us today that even before your name was given in this life, God had your name written in the book of life. And here's the truth. I don't know all your stories in this room. No doubt we all have different, widely different stories of different upbringings, of things that we experienced in life. Maybe people weren't so kind to us. Maybe organizations or businesses weren't too kind to us. Maybe the government wasn't too kind to us. Maybe your parents weren't too kind to you or your siblings. Whatever it is, we've all experienced different things in life. We come into this room every single Sunday being brought up differently and with different stories to tell. Maybe some of you grew up in a broken home. Maybe some of you grew up with an abusive father or an absentee father. Maybe you grew up with a dad who would rather have been a friend to you than an actual father figure. I don't know your stories. But if you are in Christ, God is your Father. You are an adopted son and daughter of a perfect and loving and just and merciful and gracious God. You and I get the privilege and the blessing to cry out to our Dad in heaven, Abba, Father. Jesus says in Matthew 7, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts 
to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? We are not dealing with an absentee Father in heaven. We are dealing with a God, a Father in heaven who is very, very near and wants to give us good things. In fact, Scripture tells us everything good ever been given to our lives comes from God. There isn't anyone on the entire planet who knows what you need more than God your Father. If we're being honest, we often don't understand that sometimes. We often think, based on our human nature, we know what's best for us. And we often think we know exactly what we need when we need it. But Paul says in verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. Contrary to what some of you might think, life is not about you. Life is certainly not about me. What we want is secondary to what God wants. And what God wants is for His name to be glorified among His people. What God wants is is for the world to be saved through His Son, Jesus Christ. What God the Father wants is for His name to be exalted among the nations. Not your name, not my name, His name. The name above every other name. The name of Jesus Christ. And so I think it's fair for us, for you, for me, to assume that if God does really know what's best for us, and if He's certainly working out the good for those who love Him, this is why it's often disappointing when we pray for things we may want, but more specifically for things we know we need, and God doesn't answer our prayers and give us those things that we need. Because even when we think we know what we need, God knows better. And this is often why God withholds from giving the things that we ask for sometimes because it's not until the future when we look back on the past and see and remember the things that we prayed for, the things that we thought we needed, we look up to God and say, you know what? God really should be in charge. He really does know what I need when I need it. And and often it does take time for us to see those things. We look back and we actually see Based on God and His grace, we we look back and see, you know what? God's hand really was in that situation. God's hand really was in those circumstances. I don't know why He didn't answer my prayer or give me what I needed then, but, but I know now. Because God is good and He is a loving Father who knows exactly, exactly, exactly what you need in every single moment of your life. And so, the question I have is, if God is not your Father in this room, then I plead with you to ask Him right now to be your Father. And I promise you, He will answer you with a resounding yes. If you would just ask, God, will you be my Father? Or maybe God is your Father and has been your Father in Heaven, but you've never really looked at Him as a Father figure. I pray that you would begin to think that way in your faith journey. He won't just respond with a yes. You know, See, this God invites us into His kingdom And this kingdom never ends. 10,000 years from now, you will look at God and say, that is my dad. For all of eternity. A dad that will never let you down. A dad that will always, always stand by your side. A dad that will never drift from you in the sense that he does not withhold the things that you think you need based on you. Everything God gives us is based on what he knows best for us. Paul says in in verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Whatever kingdom you and I are at times building for ourselves in this life, I promise you it's no match.
for the kingdom of God. And God in His Word is saying, if you join my kingdom, I will honor you and make you a co-heir with Jesus, my Son, for all of eternity. How do we know God loves us in the midst of so much uncertainty? In the midst of a nation that seems so divided? Number four, nothing will separate you from God's love. Nothing will separate you from God's love. If you are in Christ, then there is no condemnation for you. And if there is no condemnation for you, then that means God's Spirit lives in you. And if God's Spirit lives in you, then that means you belong to Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, then God is your Father. And if God is your Father, then here's just the icing on the cake based on Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will, it, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. I have just simply preached to you the gospel. It is the gospel that saves. It is the gospel that has been given to you in your life. And it is the gospel that should be shared through your life. In a world, in a country that is so divided based on race, the gospel is more prevalent now than maybe ever. If the Spirit of God lives in you, then that same Spirit of God has sealed you, covered you, protect, protected you, and bound you up as a child of God for all of eternity. Paul says this, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. Some people God calls and redeems at a young age. Some people God calls and redeems later in their life. It's still the same God and it's still the same love and it's still the power and presence and grace that is found through God and His redemption. I'm not sure if you remember back in, I think it was January, I shared with you about a, a, a woman I befriended. She just turned 60 last week. Her name was Carol. If I remember correctly, at the time, I had already known Carol a few months. I would gotten to know her. I shared with her my story, my testimony, what Jesus had done in my life. She began to share with me her story. Everything that she had experienced, you know, for 59 years. Well, now she's 60. Carol's story is uh, she lost her husband in her mid-20s. They had three young daughters. So now she's a widow trying to raise three young girls. Um, Carol became an alcoholic, struggled with that addiction decades, lost her one of her daughters to the same rare disease she lost her husband to about 10 or so years ago. Carol has lived a rough life. She shared all this with me, just opened her heart out, and, and I got to pray with her. This was several months ago. I got to come alongside Carol, get to know her more, get to pray with her, get to encourage her with God's word, disciple her, if you want to call it that. Back in February, Carol, I, I happened to run into her at the... I was taking out some trash. She was getting back to work. She works overnight. 
Carol gets out of the car. She gives me this big hug. This is when hugging was okay. She says, Nate, I, you know, I've been thinking. And uh, Carol's been sober about 10 years now from alcohol. She says, Nate, I've been thinking. Um, I used to always think that I was the one that got myself sober. I mean, I truly believe that I was the reason I got myself sober. I didn't go to AA, I didn't do all these things. It was me. I just, I just decided one day I was going to quit. I had to quit. And I always thought it was me that got myself sober. That door flung open so fast. She got out. She said, but Nate, I now know it was God. God got me sober. It was God and God alone. And then she told me, Nate, I want to be baptized. I want to give my whole life to Jesus. Well, I was you know, auntie at that time, I wanted to baptize her in that moment, and it was like 40 degrees outside, and the pool didn't have a heater in our apartments, but I would have still baptized her, but Carol has a daughter and a son-in-law who live in the Houston area, and they're Christians, they're followers of Christ, and they really wanted to see Carol get baptized, I mean, this is her mom, I totally get that, well, it wasn't until yesterday that they were able to come in town. That's a picture of me baptizing a 60-year-old woman named Carol. And uh, that's her granddaughter, Pearl. Got to be there. You know what's most amazing to me about that? Nothing will ever separate Carol from the love of God. God has sealed His Spirit in Carol. 10,000 years from now, I will be singing praises to the same God who saved Carol that saved me. Because Paul says, those He calls were predestined. You see, even before 60 years ago, God knew the moment and the time that He was going to save Carol. Even before 60 years ago, God knew the the moment and time in our history when I would get to baptize Carol. It's not by chance that I ran into Carol in February. It wasn't by chance that I met her in October. That was by divine appointment. We have to believe that God wants to use us powerfully to share this gospel, this good news, because God has people all over the world and especially in our country right now that He wants to separate and seal with His Spirit so that they can know too that nothing will ever separate them from the love of God, just like you if you are in Christ in this room. So here's my invitation. Two, really. first one is, if you're in this room and, and, and you're not in Christ, if God is not your Father, if you aren't sure that nothing in all creation will separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ, I want to invite you to come forward. I would love to pray for you. And number two, I would love to talk to you about surrendering your life to Jesus and being baptized. Baptism is, is a biblical thing. It's us as the church being obedient to Jesus' own words, being buried with Christ, just like Carol was yesterday. When you go under that water, you are being buried with Christ in His death. And when you come out of that water, you are being raised to resurrection life. I was describing to Carol, you know, after we're going to baptize her, we're going to try to keep social distancing. Obviously, that didn't work out with the hug after. How could you hold back a hug in that moment? And then after I, we were talking, and I said, all right, Carol, we're going to baptize you. And I mean, that's pretty much going to be it. <laughs> and 
she said, yeah, I mean, but I'll be new. I'll be new. I was like, yeah, you'll, you'll be new. You will be a new person, a new creation. This is what happens when we surrender our lives to Jesus and are baptized with him in his death and raised to new resurrection life with him. So if you are in this room and you don't know Jesus this way, I want to invite you to come forward. I want to pray with you and I want to talk to you through those steps because I would love right now, right after this at least, to baptize you so that you too can leave this building and be a brand new person just like Jesus wants you to be. The second invitation is anybody who is in this room who, who's just having a hard time. Life's just got you down. I want to invite you to come forward and I want to pray with you. Mark can come up here too. He can stand up here as I think we'll play another song and we'll stand here during that song. And that song is a, is a time for you to come forward and, and let us pray with you. Let us come alongside you in whatever it is that you're dealing with. I believe the presence of God is in this place and if God is speaking to you and asking or or telling you and and convicting you and and leading you to this moment, don't, don't, don't hesitate. Just come. There's nothing embarrassing about coming to the altar of Almighty God. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, I am so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful that it's you that has the power to save. It's you that has a grace that is unfathomable at times. A grace that we as your church desperately need every single day. We are with, not without fault as the bride of Christ. We need your help, God. We need your spirit to help us. Father, I pray for anyone in this room who you've been speaking to. Maybe you've convicted them. Maybe you are leading them into new life in Jesus. I pray, Father, give them the courage through your spirit to come surrender all that they are to you. God, I pray for anyone in this room who's dealing or struggling with anything, that they would come and that we we could pray for them knowing that you hear our prayers, that you are a God who saves, a God who redeems, a God who sets people back on the right path. Jesus, thank you for, for who you are and for your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.